welcome to Meet My Brain, a field guide to Asperger's. I'm your host, The Autistic Woman. This episode is the second in a series about autism and domestic violence. This subject might bring up things for some people that could make them uncomfortable, so please consider that before listening. There are influences in our lives that can make us susceptible to abuse. Autistic traits play a role, and so do the experiences we have growing up and the messages we get from so many sources, including films, television, and books. In my experience, autism made me more prone to be subject to domestic abuse and violence. There are a variety of things that made it easy for me to be fooled, such as, let's take bullying. For a long time, I saw bullying as something that happened to awkward kids in school. It was mean and immature. I learned eventually that adults bully others, kids, and adults. I experienced it in school and at work. When it happened, I rarely understood that I was being bullied. I have a trusting nature. I tend to trust people until or unless they prove untrustworthy. I like to think the best of others and I forgive quickly. I'd rather get along with others and I don't like confrontation. Autistics often are accused of overthinking and overanalyzing, and even though I don't like those terms, I recognize that there are times when I let analysis and fact-finding keep me stuck. An autistic like me wants to find the right answer, even when there isn't one. I've searched for the way to have a good relationship, as if there is a black-and-white way. Many of us have limited relationship experience, There's no manual or system or handbook. There may be challenges with social cues and social communication. I've become better at it, yet I'm sure I miss things. The problem is that I might not know if I missed something. I don't know whether boundaries are innate for neurotypicals or not. It took years for me to figure out what boundaries even are and why they're important. I had to accept that not everyone is fair or good and that I didn't have to accept their demands of me. My parents raised us with appropriate discipline, taught us manners, and had rules. I thought that was all I needed. As an adult, I had no clue that I could establish rules and preferences, even guidelines for how I wanted to be treated and what kind of relationship I wanted or did not want. I had hopes, wishes, and dreams with no clue how to measure them. I learned later that failing to set boundaries led me into the lion's den of abuse. It took years to understand what boundaries are, what I wanted my boundaries to be, and how to set them. I get it now that setting and sticking to boundaries is the greatest protection I have. Most autistics tend to be accepting of others and open-minded. In my naivete, I often didn't even consider that someone was lying to me or manipulating me. Autistics can fear navigating the neurotypical world. I like having a partner or companion to share experiences, to talk with, someone who's good at what I struggle with. I once had a partner who was great at networking. I knew how to market and do press releases and build a business. The combination made us successful. The success increased my confidence. We both benefited in many ways. 
Once that partnership reached its conclusion, I was anxious to find another. I was more focused on reaching that goal than on finding a suitable fit. I wanted to express myself in a safe relationship. My impatience led me straight into a dangerous situation. It wasn't impatience alone. It was autistic qualities as well. That part of me that didn't have a clue. Some of us, autistics or not, have a deep desire to be loved, to have a partner, to have a family and children. Not all autistics do. I have always valued having a family. At one time, I had tunnel vision when it came to wanting a partner and family. I overlooked things I didn't like about others, particularly a partner, and made excuses for why I was with them. We all have different background experiences. There are religious, family, and cultural expectations. At parties or family get-togethers, I saw adult couples at their best for the most part. If they were unhappy, it wouldn't show. This reinforced in me a romantic view of relationships. I was raised in a culture that expected me to grow up, get married to someone of the same culture and religion, and have kids, and live happily ever after. Couples were married in the church, which didn't allow divorce. When married women felt unhappy in their relationships, since leaving was not an option, they found a way to cope. They found a way to justify their loyalty to their husbands, the culture, and the church. On occasion, I overheard women talking to each other about their husbands and their marriages. I called the coping mechanism they used martyr syndrome because it perpetuated the idea that suffering in a relationship was acceptable and normal. It went something like this. If a woman complained that her husband was unemployed, for example, the other women would reply, at least he doesn't cheat on you. If the husband cheated, she would hear, at least he doesn't hit you. If a woman's husband hit her, well, at least he has a job. So basically, any legitimate concern was met with a reason a woman should stay, no matter what. There's always something worse, so suffer whatever you have to and be okay with it. What if her husband is unemployed, cheats on her, and is violent? At least he's not a drinker. At least he's a good father. Is he, though? At least he goes to church. There's always a way to spin it, to make it okay. In fact, the woman was expected to be grateful for the bad things the husband didn't do. In my neighborhood, there was a tavern or bar on nearly every corner. There were men who spent the day at the bar. Drinking was blamed for their behavior toward their wives. The simple solution was that he should stop drinking and everything will be fine. So just stay and wait it out. Growing up, I would see fantasy, fairy tale relationships in movies and books and TV. Let's take Cinderella. Her stepfamily treats her horribly. So a man, no, a prince, she just met, saves her and sees her as the ideal woman to live life by his rules. At one time, the movie The King and I was one of my favorites. To me, it represented the woman behind the man, encouraging him, loving him. This seemed like it was anything but martyr syndrome. 
I like the idea that someone else's life could be more fulfilling because of my contribution, like it was something noble with the side benefit of letting me use my problem-solving skills, my creativity, intelligence, and loving nature. Take a piece of coal and create a diamond. In reality, that says, make the best of it, right? So here I was in a different version of martyr syndrome. Eventually, I understood that the king in the movie was cold, a bully. He criticized and mistrusted the woman's actions and opinions. She was driven to prove her value to him in order to be accepted. It was a roller coaster relationship, and he was always withholding his approval. Then there are examples in films about what love is. I see things from a new perspective now that I understand abuse and domestic violence. An autistic trait I have is to see the world and people in an idealized way. Romantic movies make unhealthy behaviors into loving ones. Everything works out because of love. Why wouldn't I watch these movies? It feels amazing. Recently, I saw a movie with an all-too-common plot. A woman has an affair with her best friend's fiancé two weeks before the wedding. Okay, that's a problem right from the beginning. They fall in love, of course, usually within a day or so. Then there's the moral dilemma, if we can call it that. He can't decide what to do, go forward with the wedding, or be with his one true love. After much drama calls off the wedding, and the two lovers can finally be together. That is not the kind of man I would want a friend to be with. Romance is portrayed as lovers ending up together no matter what, no matter who you hurt, no matter how quickly you fall madly in love, that it's okay for a person who loves and respects you to question it two weeks before the wedding, that it's normal to fall in love quickly, which makes a person a target for someone charming. You might not even notice how insincere it is if you rush. Regardless of your sex or gender, these messages are confusing and disrespectful and anything but love. I believed that an ideal relationship exists and I could have it. When I wasn't happy, I thought I must be doing something wrong. I read books to improve my understanding of relationships, and I went to counseling to deal with my unhappiness. Women with martyr syndrome stayed because they had to. I stayed because of love. There was no church or culture keeping me there. Rather, a lack of clarity about what I didn't have to accept. A lack of boundaries. I wanted a bright line. I wanted to know the rules. I wanted it black and white. What I got was a recipe with one ingredient, love. It took a while to understand that I could love someone who's not good for me. It defied the rules I live by. Just because I love you isn't a reason for anything. I love the wrong person, so all I have to do is find the right one, yes? They say people choose the same relationship again and again as if it's a prison sentence. It's not the whole truth. People choose the same if their boundaries are the same. Changing or establishing boundaries and standards is what helps someone go in a different direction. Sometimes when you learn what you don't want, you know what you do want. In order to be successful, I got this kind of advice. 
You have to love yourself in order to love someone else. You are responsible for your own happiness, which I interpreted to mean, if I'm not happy, it's not his fault, it's mine. You have to let go of wanting a relationship and then it will come to you. You know, that makes no sense and it isn't true. And one of the worst, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Tell that to a victim of domestic violence. Not that the sayings and advice are 100% wrong. Ask yourself if they work for you. If yes, then great. For me, this kind of advice is meaningless, unhelpful, and insulting. But that's me. If a partner is unemployed, has no ambition, is uninterested in working, it doesn't matter to me if at least he takes me out on my birthday. I'm out. If a partner abuses me, I'm out, period. If a partner cheats, I'm gone. I decide what black and white is. That's what it means to love myself. But maybe I should be more forgiving, be more tolerant, be nicer. Nope. As an autistic person, boundaries give me clarity because they are black and white. It's okay for me to choose to disregard the messages I got in the past and get now from anyone. I can't be sure they're right. Who is in the best position to decide for me? I've tried it their way and it didn't go so well. Unhealthy messages warp our views and we may not even realize it. An autistic who has a tendency to get stuck, take their time to think things over carefully, analyze the facts in detail, focus on finding solutions and answers, dislike change, want to do the right thing, value fairness, might not have a way to measure the accuracy of their conclusions. They might not consider that how they're treated is unacceptable. They even might be likely to feel ashamed of their unhappiness. So what do we do? In my opinion, it starts with education and understanding, recognition, learning to see, getting it. If not for yourself, then for that person you know who comes to you for advice, pay attention. So you'll have something to say other than, at least you love each other. In the next episode, I'll show you one of the subtle and common forms of abuse. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love hearing your thoughts and ideas. You can message me at an autistic woman on Twitter. This has been Meet My Brain, a field guide to Asperger's. I'm the Autistic Woman.